بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما In the previous lessons we talked about some of the things that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam took care of as soon as he arrived in Al-Madinah. Some of the things that he did quickly after he made the hijrah from Mecca to Medina. From those things was the building of Masjid Quba and then a little while later the building of Al-Masjid Al-Nabawi. From those things was the Mu'akha or the making of ties of brotherhood between the Muhajireen and the Ansar. And from those actions that the Prophet ﷺ performed in those early days in Al Madina, he made treaties with the different tribes and the different leaders of Al Madina. As the head of state, the Prophet ﷺ, he came up with some treaties that all of the parties had to abide with. Because as the head of state, the Prophet ﷺ was in charge and he was the one who was making the rules. So these are some of the things that the Prophet ﷺ established early during his stay in Al Madina. But those early days in Medina were actually difficult days for the Prophet ﷺ and for the companions that came from Mecca, from the, for the Muhajireen. And this was because Medina was known as a land of epidemic. It was a land of disease. Now the people who lived in Medina, they were not affected by that because they were used to it. They were accustomed to it. So they basically became immune to that. So the people who lived in Medina, they were fine. But anyone who would come to the city of Medina from outside, they would very likely be affected with this illness and it was a severe illness that caused them to get very high fever. So most of the Muhajireen, most of the Sahaba who made the Hijrah from Mecca to al Madina, they were affected by this illness in al Madina. And there were a few exceptions. There were a few people who didn't get affected by the illness. And from those few people who didn't get affected by the illness was the Prophet himself. He didn't get affected by the illness. He didn't fall sick when he reached al Madina. But he saw most of his companions affected by this illness and it was to such an extent that they would have a very high fever and they would actually think that they were about to die. The sickness was so bad that they thought that this was their illness of death, that death was near. So very severe illness. Aisha radiallahu anha, she mentions about the arrival of the Muslims from Mecca to Medina. She says, قَدِمْنَا الْمَدِينَةِ وَهِيَ أَوْبَأُ أَرْضِ اللَّهِ قَدِمْنَا الْمَدِينَةِ وَهِيَ أَوْبَأُ أَرْضِ اللَّهِ We came to Medina and it was the most diseased land on the land of Allah. It was the most diseased place on earth basically is what she's saying. فَكَانَ بُطْحَانُ يَجْرِي نَجْلَى there was a valley in Medina that had water flowing through it. And she said, Aisha radiallahu anha, she says that the water that was flowing in this valley, you could see it and it was contaminated. The water was contaminated. It was an impure water. 
And of course, if the water source is impure and people are using that water to drink, then of course they're going to be affected by that illness. So the water supply of Medina was contaminated itself. So of course the people, they would get sick. Now as we said, the people who lived in Medina, because they lived there, they were immune to this. But anyone who came from outside, there was a very high probability that they would be affected by this illness. So most of the Sahaba, they got affected by this illness. And a few of them were spared, few of them were saved by the permission of Allah. And from amongst those who were saved from getting sick was the Prophet ﷺ himself. He didn't get sick. So the Sahaba, the Muhajireen, they became so sick that most of them actually even in the Salah, in the prayer, they would pray sitting down. They couldn't even stand up easily. It was difficult for them to stand. They were so weak. So most of them, they were praying sitting down. But they would still come to the masjid. Even though they were suffering so much to the extent that it was hard for them to even stand up, they would still come to the masjid with high fever and with this weakness of their body. And if they couldn't walk to the masjid themselves, they would have someone carry them to the masjid. Someone would carry them on one side and another person would carry them on the other side. So two people would actually help them to come to the masjid so that they could pray in the jama'ah. This was the importance that the Sahaba gave to praying in the Jama'ah. Subhanallah. So let's compare that with our situation today. We use the smallest and the flimsiest excuses to pray at home and not to come to the masjid. But the, the Sahaba of the Prophet ﷺ, even though they were suffering from severe illness, they would make whatever effort they could to come to the masjid. So they would come to the masjid and most of them they were praying sitting down because it was difficult for them to stand up. And the Prophet ﷺ, he wanted to keep them optimistic and he wanted to encourage them to fight this illness. You know, usually if someone is sick, if they just lie down all day and they say, oh, I'm sick, I'm sick, I'm sick. This is something that psychologically it would take you a longer time to get better. If psychologically you're just telling yourself, oh, I'm so sick, I'm so sick, I can't do anything. It'll take you a longer time to get better. But if you keep confident and you keep optimistic and you are strong in the face of your illness, then inshallah, you will be able to overcome that by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sooner. And the Prophet wasallam he knew this. So he would encourage the companions when he saw them praying sitting down. He told them that the person who prays sitting down he gets half of the ajr, half of the reward of the person who prays standing up. Okay, you can pray sitting down if you have to, but know that you're going to get half of the ajr because you're sitting down instead of standing up. So this actually encouraged the Sahaba, even though they were sick, even though they were weak, they were okay, we're going to fight this illness, we're going to stand up and we're going to pray. So psychologically, this is something that helped them to overcome the illness by the permission of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they made every effort and even though they were weak and they were ill, they made sure that they did whatever they could to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this sickness, it was so intense. And as we mentioned, the Sahaba, they thought that, you know, this, this may be the end. You know, This may be the illness of death. So there is a narration where Aisha radiallahu anha she went to visit her father Abu Bakr radiallahu anha Abu Bakr radiallahu anha was one of those companions who was very deeply affected by this fever by the sickness he was very sick so Aisha radiallahu anha 
she goes to her father, Abu Bakr radiallahu an, and she asks him, how are you, O oh my father? How are you feeling? And Abu Bakr radiallahu an, he replies with two lines of poetry. He says, he says, everyone is alive with their families, but death is closer than your shoelace. You may be alive right now with your family, but your death is closer to you than the laces of your shoe. So this was the level that the sickness affected Abu Bakr عن, that he thought, thought that death was approaching him. Bilal عن, he was also there with Abu Bakr عن, and he was also very sick. He was very deeply affected by this illness. So Aisha anha, she asked Bilal, how are you ya Bilal? And Bilal, he replied also with some poetry. Now Bilal, instead of thinking about death, he was reminiscing about Mecca. He had this love for Mecca. And now he's in Medina and he's very sick and he's missing Mecca. So he replied Aisha radiallahu anha with some lines of poetry. He said, Ala layta shi'ri hal abitanna laylatan biwadin wa hawli idhkhirun wa jalilu wa hal aridanna yawman miyaha majannatin He's remembering Mecca. He says, oh, I wish I could stay in the night in the valley. And around me is Idhkhir and Jalil. Idhkhir and Jalil, it's a type of greenery, a type of grass that used to grow only in Mecca. So he's saying, I wish I could spend the night in the valley. And around me is Idhkhir and Jalil, this greenery of Mecca. And I wish in the day that I could drink the water of Majanna. The water of Majanna was water in Mecca. This was some special water that was there only in Mecca. Miyaha Majanna. And I wish that Shama and Tafil, these are two mountains in Mecca. He said, I wish Shama and Tafil would appear to me. So he's just thinking about the good old days in Mecca where he was healthy and he was not affected by this illness. So they were very deeply affected and it was a very, very severe and serious illness. Eventually, Aisha radiallahu anha, she herself was affected by this fever. So her fever was very high and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, he came to her and he asked her, how are you ya Aisha? And she said, I'm suffering very badly, this fever, it's very high. And she went to the extent where she cursed the fever. She, she asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to curse this fever. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam said, No, do not curse the fever. Do not curse the fever because it is under the command of Allah. No sickness can come to a person except if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows that to happen. So any sickness that you get, any illness that comes to you, it is under the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So don't curse it. And rather know that even if you're sick, there is something that's good that's going to come out of your sickness. If you're patient with that sickness, it will draw you closer to Allah. When you're really sick especially, then your tawakkul in Allah, it becomes more. You will constantly be making dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Ya Allah, ishfini, Ya Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I ask you 
to give me health, to cure me from this sickness. Anyone who's sick, you know this. You automatically make more dua when you're sick, asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for cure. So this is something that is good. It strengthens your connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And also, of course, it acts as a kafara or as an expiation for your sins. Everyone has committed sins. When you get sick, that's something that wipes away and cleans off your sins. So alhamdulillah, there is good that comes out of it as well. So we shouldn't curse the illness. You ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for shifa, of course, but don't curse the illness if it comes to you. So the Jews of Medina and the munafiqeen and the hypocrites of Medina, when they saw all of these Muslims, when they saw so many of these muhajireen from Mecca falling ill and falling sick, it made them actually very happy. They were thinking, look, this is how we're going to get rid of these Muslims. They'll just all die from this illness and then we will regain our power and our status in the community. So they were very happy actually to see the Muslims falling ill like this. Now, the Prophet ﷺ, even though he himself did not fall ill, he saw his companions, he saw Abu Bakr, he saw Bilal, he saw Aisha radiallahu anha and other companions of his falling ill. So he became very concerned for them and he was very sad. And he thought about the kuffar of the Quraysh and how these kuffar of the Quraysh drove them out of their homeland, drove them out of Mecca. And the only reason why they came to Medina was because they were forced out of Mecca by these kuffar. So the Prophet ﷺ, he remembered that and he actually made dua against some of these heads of the kuffar of the Quraysh. When he saw, when the Prophet ﷺ saw his companions ill like this, he said, Allahumma al'an Shayba ibn Rabi'ah wa Utba ibn Rabi'ah wa Umayya ibn Khalaf kama akhrajuna min ardina ila ardi al-waba. He said, Ya Allah, curse Shayba ibn Rabi'ah and Utba ibn Rabi'ah and Umayya ibn Khalaf. These were from the heads of the kuffar of the Quraysh. Oh Allah, curse them as they are the ones who forced us out of our homeland into this land of illness, into this land of epidemics. So this was the effect that the Prophet ﷺ, when he saw his companions ill like this, he made dua against those kuffar of the Quraysh who forced him and his companions out of Mecca. But then the Prophet ﷺ also made dua for Medina. He made dua for Medina. And he said, Allahumma habib ilayna al-Medina كَحُبِّنَا مَكَّةً أَوْ أَشَدٍ اللهم حبب إلينا المدينة كحبنا مكة أو أشد Oh Allah, make Medina beloved to us as we love Mecca or even more than that. What a beautiful dua. Ya Allah, make this city, make Al-Medina beloved to us like Mecca is beloved to us or even more beloved to us than Mecca. اللهم بارك لنا في صاعنا وفي مدنا وصححها لنا وانقل حماها إلى الجحفة. He said, Ya Allah, give us barakah, give us blessing in the sa' of Medina and in the mud of Medina. The sa' and the mud, these are measurements. These are units of measurement. So one sa' is equal to four muds, and a mud is basically like your two handfuls like this. This is a mud. And four of those is one sa'a. 
So the Prophet ﷺ said, Allahumma barik lana fi sa'ina wa fi muddina. Ya Allah, give us barakah in our mudd and in our sa'a. Living in Medina, make it a place of barakah where even if the quantity is little, the barakah is more. Wasahiha lana. And Ya Allah, make this city, make Medina a city that is healthy for us. A city that is free of any type of disease and free of any type of illness for us. And take the fever of Medina and move it to Al-Juhfa. Al-Juhfa is a place on the outskirts, outside of Al-Medina. So the Prophet ﷺ asked Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to take this disease or to take this illness, take this fever that was present in Medina and move it out to Al-Juhfa. So the Prophet ﷺ, he made this dua to make Medina beloved to the people as Mecca or even more than Mecca and to give barakah in the measurements and give barakah in the rizq and to make it a place that is healthy and clean and to move the sickness and the fever away to Al-Juhfa. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he answered this prayer of the Prophet ﷺ. Up to this day, Medina is beloved to any Muslim. Medina is beloved to any Muslim. We love Mecca and we love Medina. And you will find Muslims who would actually rather stay in Medina than Mecca. There are, there are some of us who have more love for Medina than we have for Mecca. And this is because of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ. Ya Allah, make Medina beloved to us like Mecca or even more. So yes, to some people, they have more love for Medina than even Mecca. And, and Medina also is a place that is known for its barakah. And you know, many of my teachers when I was studying there in Saudi Arabia, I was in Mecca, but the teachers, they would tell us that, you know, somebody can buy like a bag of rice in Mecca and it will last them for about one week. And someone buys that same amount, that same bag of rice in Medina and it'll last them for two weeks. And how does this happen? Allahu A'lam. Because of the dua of the Prophet ﷺ, where he specifically made dua, Allahumma barik lana fi sa'ina wa fi muddina. Ya Allah, give us barakah in the sa' and in the mudd. So there is that barakah there. Even though the quantity might be the same as any other place, but it lasts you longer because of the barakah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has placed in Medina due to this dua of the beloved messenger of Allah, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Also, the Prophet ﷺ made Medina a haram. He made it a place that is sacred. And the Prophet ﷺ said, Al Medina to haram, ma bayna airin wa thawr, faman ahdatha fiha hadathan, aw awa muhdithan, faalehi, la'natullahi, wal malaikati, wal nasi ajma'in. The Prophet ﷺ said, Al Medina is a haram, it is sacred, from air to thawr. Those are two mountains in Medina. So between those two mountains, Medina is a haram. And what does it mean Medina is a haram? That it's not allowed to cut a tree there. It is not allowed to hunt animals there. It is a place that is sacred. And its sanctity should not be violated. So just, just like Mecca is a haram, Medina is also haram. فَمَنْ أَحْدَثَ فِيهَا حَدَثًا So whoever commits a sin in Medina, Whoever commits an action of evil in Medina, or whoever gives refuge to a person who is committing evil in Medina, or he helps him commit evil, or he covers for him, 
فَعَلَيْهِ لَعْنَةُ اللَّهِ Then this person, he will have the curse of Allah وَالْمَلَائِكَةِ And the angels وَالنَّاسِ أَجْمَعِينَ And all of the people upon him. So committing a sin in Medina, doing something evil in Medina is not like doing it somewhere else. So you have to be very, very careful in those places that are sacred. Have to be extra careful in those places not to do anything that is disobedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So due to the dua of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Medina was purified of this illness. The Sahaba, they got better. They became healthy again. And when the Jews and the hypocrites of Al-Madinah saw the Sahaba regain their health, they were saddened and they were humiliated. They were hoping this would be the end of the Muslims and eventually the end of Islam. But when the Sahaba regained their strength and their health, the Jews and the Munafiqeen, the hypocrites, they were humiliated by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, as we know, during the period of the Prophet ﷺ in Mecca, during those 13 years that he spent in Mecca, jihad was not allowed. Fighting, physical fighting in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was not allowed. So the Muslims in Mecca, they patiently took the torture that was given to them by the Quraysh. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not give them permission even to fight back. But after the hijrah to Al-Madinah, soon after the hijrah to Al-Madinah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave the Muslims permission to physically defend themselves. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the ayah, أُذِنَ لِلَّذِينَ يُقَاتَلُونَ بِأَنَّهُمْ ظُلِمُوا وَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَلَى نَصْرِهِمْ لَقَدِيرٌ Permission has been given to the people who are being fought against. They are fighting you. They are torturing you. They are harming you. So permission has been given to you to fight back. Because the people, the Muslims, they are being wrong. They are being oppressed. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, now He gives them permission to fight back. And Allah is able to help them and to give them victory. So soon after the hijrah to Medina, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave permission for the Muslims to fight. And this is important to know because the great battle of Badr, the first battle of Islam, it took place not long after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ to Medina. It happened in the second year after the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ to Al-Madinah. This decisive battle between Islam and Kufr. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave that permission after the hijrah to Al-Madinah. So before we get into the ordaining of jihad and the battle of Badr, we need to understand what the society of Medina was like before jihad actually started. And we talked a little bit about the situation of Medina. We mentioned that Medina was basically divided into three equal populations. The Aus, the tribe of Aus, comprised about one-third of the population of Medina. The tribe of Khazraj comprised about one-third of the population of Medina. And the Jews comprised about one-third of the population of Al-Medina. Now, the majority of the Aus and Khazraj, most of the people from Aus and most of the people from Khazraj, they accepted Islam. <coughs> so now, Muslims were the majority. And the Prophet ﷺ was the leader. 
Now the Jews, they were still about one-third of the population. But they couldn't do anything about the Prophet ﷺ being in charge. Because the majority of the population of Medina now is Muslim. And they have appointed Muhammad ﷺ as their leader. So the Jews as a minority, they can't do anything about it. Even though they were unhappy with this, they couldn't do anything about it. So some Jews pretended to accept Islam. They were the biggest enemies of the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims, but they pretended to accept Islam in an attempt to try to destroy Islam from the inside. It's always more dangerous to destroy something from the inside than from the outside. So some of the Jews, they decided, okay, we will pretend to become Muslims, we will act as if we are Muslims in order to harm the Muslims and Islam from the inside. So there were some of the Jews who became Munafiqeen. And as Zubair ibn Bata and Zaid ibn al-Lusayt, and there were some others who pretended to become Muslims, but they were actually from the Munafiqeen. So the Jews, who were the biggest enemies of the Prophet ﷺ, they would ask him all sorts of questions. Now these Jews, as we know, as we talked about very early on, they originally came from Asham and they settled in Al-Madinah. So they had some knowledge of the previous scriptures. They had knowledge of the Torah. So they would go to the Prophet ﷺ and they would ask him questions and they would see if he would be able to answer these questions according to what was revealed in their scriptures. They would hope that they could ask him some tricky questions and they were hoping that he would slip up or make a mistake and they could say, I gotcha. So they would ask all sorts of questions and the Prophet ﷺ would very patiently answer their questions. He would actually patiently answer their questions. And they were amazed. He would answer all of their questions exactly according to the revelation that they had. And they were amazed. You know, this is a man who doesn't have any type of education. He doesn't know how to read. He doesn't know how to write. He doesn't know the Torah. But he's able to answer all of these questions perfectly. So they were amazed by that. And they knew that he was truthful. Yet their envy and their jealousy and their hatred still prevented them from becoming Muslims. So they would ask all sorts of questions. One of the questions they asked was about a ruh Ya Muhammad, tell us about a ruh And the Prophet ﷺ said, Ar-Ruh is Jibreel. And then the Jews, they said, Yeah, Jibreel, he is our enemy from the angels. Imagine this. They accept that Jibreel is an angel and they say still that he is our enemy. Does this even make any sense? You admit that he is an angel of Allah and you say that he is your enemy? What type of religion is this? What type of belief is this? And the Prophet ﷺ asked them, why, why do you say that he is your enemy? And they said, because he comes with shidda. He comes with killing. Because Jibreel ﷺ, when there is fighting and the angels come down to help the believers, Jibreel ﷺ is one of those angels who comes and helps in the fighting. So they would say, look, he comes and he kills and he causes the spilling of blood. And he is one of the angels who destroys the cities that are disobedient to Allah. For example, the people of Lut It was Jibreel who picked that city up 
and made the bottom of that city the top. He turned it upside down. This was Jibreel alayhi salam who took care of this by the command of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So these Jews, they would say, this is Jibreel. He comes with this type of a thing, with fighting and killing and destruction. So he is our enemy from the angels. Look at this warped logic that they had. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses this claim of the Jews. In Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قُلْ مَنْ كَانَ عَدُوًّا لِجِبْرِيلٍ فَإِنَّهُ نَزَّلَهُ عَلَىٰ قَلْبِكَ بِإِذْنِ اللَّهِ مُصَدِّقًا لِمَا بَيْنَ يَدَيْهِ وَهُدًا وَبُشْرًا لِلْمُؤْمِنِينَ مَنْ كَانَ عَدُوًّا لِلَّهِ وَمَلَائِكَتِهِ وَرُسُلِهِ وَجِبْرِيلَ وَمِيكَالَ فَإِنَّ اللَّهَ عَدُوٌ لِلْكَافِرِينَ Whoever is an enemy to Allah and his angels and his messengers and Jibreel and Mikal, then Allah is the enemy to the disbelievers. Also these Jews, when they heard the Prophet ﷺ talking about Sulaiman the Prophet Sulaiman When the Jews heard the Prophet ﷺ praising Sulaiman and speaking about him with respect as a Prophet of Allah, the Jews would say, do you hear this man? Do you hear Muhammad talking about Sulaiman like this? When Sulaiman was just a magician, astaghfirullah. The Jews, they said that Sulaiman was a magician. Even though he is one of the prophets of Bani Israel. He is one of the prophets of Bani Israel and they still accused him of being a magician. What type of religion is this? where you badmouth the angels of Allah and you badmouth the prophets of Allah. But this is exactly what the Jews were doing. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addresses this as well in Surah Al-Baqarah. وَمَا كَفَرَ سُلَيْمَانَ وَلَكِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ كَفَرُوا يُعَلِّمُونَ النَّاسَ السِّحَرِ Sulaiman alayhi salam did not commit kufr. Magic is kufr. Sulaiman alayhi salam was not a magician. He did not commit kufr. Rather it is the shayateen who committed kufr and they are the ones who taught the people magic not Sulaiman alayhi salam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala exonerated Sulaiman alayhi salam and cleared him from this evil accusation so this was the thinking this was the illogical way of thinking that the Jews had and these are some of the some of the things that they said against Jibreel alayhi salam and Sulaiman alayhi salam so also when the Prophet وسلم, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed to him some ayat about Jahannam and the punishment of the fire, the Jews they would say, Don't worry about this, don't worry about Jahannam, don't worry about the fire. Even if we are punished in the fire of Jahannam, we will only be punished temporarily for a period of seven thousand years. We'll only be in Jahannam for seven thousand years. And 1,000 years with Allah is one day. And one day with Allah is like 1,000 years of what you count. So these Jews, they would say, don't worry, even if we go to Jahannam, it's no big deal. We'll only be there for 7,000 years. And 1,000 years is actually one day. So it becomes just seven days. What's the big deal? Seven days in Jahannam, we can deal with it. So this is what they were thinking. Can you touch even the fire of this dunya for one split second? Subhanallah. But this was their way of thinking. So this is what they would say. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala addressed this as well. وَقَالُوا 
لن تمسنا النار إلا أياما معدودة قل أتخذتم عند الله عهدا فلن يخلف الله عهده أم تقولون على الله ما لا تعلمون The Jews they would say the fire will only touch us for a few days for a certain number of days Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam to respond to these people قل say to them أتخذتم عند الله عهدا have you taken a covenant with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for this did he make a promise to you that you will only be in the fire of Jahannam for a few days? If Allah made this type of promise with you, then he will never break his promise. But did he make that type of promise with you? Or are you speaking about Allah with that which you have no knowledge? And that's exactly what they were doing. So this was the attitude. It just gives you an idea into the mindset of the Jews of Medina and what the Prophet ﷺ had to deal with regarding them. So these were the biggest enemies of the Prophet ﷺ. So now get an idea about the threat to the Muslims before jihad was ordained. So they had threat from inside Medina. The Jews were a threat. The munafiqeen, the hypocrites, were a threat. And also, there were some mushrikeen who were left over. Most of the tribe of Aus and Khazraj, they accepted Islam. But there were a few left over who didn't accept Islam, and they remained upon shirk. So they were a threat to the Muslims as well. So the Jews, the munafiqeen, and the mushrikeen from inside Medina. From outside Medina, there is the threat of the Quraysh from Mecca. They still harbor that hatred and anger towards the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims. And also, there were other tribes in the Arabian Peninsula, other tribes of the Arabs, whose whole life was basically going into other cities and fighting them and conquering those cities. There were some tribes of Arabs who used to just live on this. Their whole life was going in, invading other cities, invading other tribes and conquering them and taking over. So that this threat was there as well. So from the inside of Medina, the Jews, the hypocrites, and the mushrikeen, from the outside, the Quraysh, and these constantly warring Arab tribes who would go into lands and take over those lands. So this was the setup. This was the situation. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala finally gave the Muslims permission for al-jihad. Because they were in a situation where they needed to show strength. They needed to show that they were strong. They needed to show that they had power. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave them this permission. Next week, inshallah, we will talk about some of the precursors to the great battle, the battle of Badr, and what led to this battle. Inshallah, we'll speak about this next week. Wallahu alam wa sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.